0: Welcome to the Map Top Money Podcast, where we help you use your money to do more of what matters. You're listening to episode number 77.
1: And today's episode is sponsored by the Mapped Up Money resources page. So if you go to map.money.com forward slash resources, you can find a list of some of our favorite personal finance and sort of self improvement books, a list of podcasts and YouTube channels that we really like and have found helpful. And if you click through any of the links on that page, especially the books, um, those links are affiliate links, especially through Amazon. And so if you click through and then actually order something with that link, we will get a little bit of kick back. And so that's a great way to uh, support the show. If that's something that you would enjoy doing, check it out, map.money.com forward slash resources.
0: Okay, we're picking up where we left off with our listener case studies today. Yes. So, so.
1: a number of I don't
0: know what to <laughs> words, you were just adding <laughs> words. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I'll start off and read. The first not question. I'm going to turn it into a question, though. Turn it into a question. Yeah, so Nick just included this one just because he liked it, but it's not really a question. It says, I just reworked our YNAB budget to switch up the categories to more of the value-based structure that Nick referenced in his seven advanced YNAB techniques video. I think this will help me shift more from a scarcity mindset to an abundance mindset. Nick, what are your thoughts on that?
1: The reason I included this is because I think a lot of people don't, Think about a budget in the way that we have now started budgeting. So a couple of years ago, we changed our budget from what I would call a paycheck to paycheck budget to a values based budget. This is where most people think of when they create their budget for the first time, they think of, OK, let me you know, list out all of my bills. And I'll list those in order of due date. So I got the mortgage payment and the utilities and the phone and got all these in here. And then I also need to buy groceries and get gas. And they just basically list out everything that they need to do or spend money on in any given month. And then as their paychecks come through, they will, you know, budget that money out. And they obviously budget money first for the bills that are due first. And then when they get their next paycheck, they'll budget that for the next group of bills. But once you have broken the paycheck-to-paycheck cycle and once you've moved beyond worrying that there may not be enough money in the account to pay the bills this month, then budgeting by paycheck or paycheck to paycheck method doesn't really help you because when you then go look at your reports, for example, you just see categories of like this is how much you spend on bills or this is how much you spend on lifestyle or this is how much you spend on irregular or this is how much you put into savings and
0: it's just not that meaningful it's not very
1: meaningful yeah it's not very meaningful at all and it's actually one of the arguments that i think a lot of people who you know especially people who maybe a little bit higher income or aren't paycheck to paycheck and would say well i don't know why i would even need a budget in the first place and if you're budgeting in that way i can understand why you would say that so a couple of years ago we we shifted our budget entirely And we renamed our category structure, we renamed everything. And so now we don't even have a bills group in our budget. Instead, what we looked at was, what are the primary values that we spend money on? Things like health and appearance, things like giving, things like our vehicles. Now vehicles isn't really a value, but I might explain that more in a second. Things like travel, things like joy, things like family and relationships. So for example, In our family and relationships group, we have a category for going out to eat with family. We have a category for pet insurance. We have a category for pet expenses. We have a category for Christmas savings and gift gift stuff. So I just listed off stuff that we don't do monthly, like saving for Christmas. We don't spend on Christmas monthly. I listed off bills, like pet insurance. And I listed off going out to eat with family. They're all in the same group. Because when I look at our reports to try and figure out how much are we spending on family and relationships, that's what I want to see is like all of our spending. I don't really care if it's a bill or not. I don't really care when it comes out of the bank account. I want to know on average how much do we spend on family and relationships and are we happy with that amount of money? Is that um, something that we want to continue doing or not continue doing? And so doing a values-based budget, it totally changes the way that you think about your spending because- it allows you to actually make informed decisions about are you spending your money on the things that you care about the most?
0: Yeah. Um, As usual, Margo is in here sleeping while we record. So if you hear her snoring, we're trying to wake her up and keep her from snoring. But if you hear it, it
1: is what it is. Yeah.
0: Um, So I I think what I like about that too, a, it makes budgeting really fun. So it's almost like a reward for getting past that paycheck to paycheck cycle because it makes the budget so much more meaningful and, therefore easier to stick to. Um, and then like B, the thing that I like about it is it's just so personalized. So like you mentioned vehicles, right? So for some people, a vehicle might be in that like family and relationship part. Totally. Cause maybe, maybe you want to buy a van so that you can load all of your grandkids up and take them, I don't know, on trips or whatever. Um, and so you know, a van is more than just a vehicle to you. It's contributing to that family value.
1: Well, in our scenario, right, we own a truck for no other reason except for that we have a camper and we use the truck to tow the camper. Mm -hmm. So if we didn't own a camper and use it, we wouldn't own a truck. We don't need a truck for – we certainly wouldn't own the truck. We do. Yeah. And and so for us, when I think about the F-250 expenses – they're really travel expenses because that's how we utilize that vehicle, which is very different, which is why I like to track the F-250 separately from your car's expenses because your car's will be drive around town. And so we actually do separate the gas for both vehicles. We separate yeah. the auto maintenance for both vehicles. We have one category for the truck, one for your car because their primary purposes are v- totally different mm-hmm. and their costs are totally different
0: yeah the other thing that i think about here is like why i like it at different points like we've used eating out a lot as an example of an area that we cut back in um and that we kind of we we figured out hey we can go out to like coffee shops more often Mm -hmm. and spend less money um and not go out to eat very often well when we were like getting our house ready to sell that totally changed. We went out totally. to eat a ton. And so if you just if you just put in front of me like, hey, you're spending this much on restaurants, is this worth it to you? The amount that we were spending while we were getting the house ready, I'd be like, no, I don't want to be spending that much at restaurants. However, if during the season that we're getting the house ready to sell and everything was so crazy and like chaotic, and you're like, hey, You're paying this much for the convenience of not having to go to the grocery store, fix your own food, and then clean everything up and whatever in the midst of everything else you're doing. And it frees up your time
1: to be able to finish painting the house and finish packing up or whatever. And I'm like,
0: absolutely, I am 1,000% willing to pay for that. Yes. Um, So it's just everything can be framed up very differently. And in some seasons, you might be totally happy with a certain amount that you're spending on something. And in other seasons, you might go, yeah, no, that's not worth it to me right now. Um, and so I think that the value-based budget makes it easier to pick those things out.
1: I totally agree. It also, I think maybe the last thing I would say here is if you have a, a spouse who you've struggled to get on board with, you know, looking at the budget looking at the reports and getting excited about it, I think this can be a really great way to start to do that because, I mean, I don't really care that much about what total our um, our monthly bills cost us. You really don't care mm-hmm. what our total monthly bills cost mm-hmm. us. So like being able to shift our stuff around to go, "Hey, here's how much we spend on relationships, or here's how much we spend on our health and fitness, or here's how much we spend on travel or whatever it is, those things actually mean something to you. And you know when i'm when I'm talking to like um clients about this, the phrase that I like to use a lot is, "I want you to spend as much money as possible on the things that matter the most to you." In order to do that, you have to know where you're spending your money and what matters the most to you. Yeah. And a values based budget allows you to answer the question Am I actually using my money on the things that matter the most to me?
0: Yeah. Um, another thing there, sorry, we just like keep going keep on this value based. Yeah. But. but another reason why I like it is um, I'm reading this book right now, uh, Money Problems, Marriage Solutions, and it's by Chuck and Ann Bentley. And kind of the first thing in that book is talking about becoming a peacemaker because it, obviously it's specifically talking about like money within marriage, right? And so I think it's really easy where I'm going with this is I feel like being able to see the value underneath the purchase um, helps to unify you in your marriage. So as an example, say um, say I was going out to coffee shops and spending 150 bucks a month at a coffee shop and you were like oh my gosh why are you spending so much at coffee shops you know whatever and like we just had it straight up in our budget like like a bills based mm-hmm. budget um and if we didn't communicate well um and talk about things i could see that being a real point of contention whereas maybe and you thinking that that's just completely stupid frivolous purchases Maybe it is. Maybe it's something that I'm buying and not thinking about. Or maybe that's an outlet that I use to like really connect with. Maybe I go meet my friends and do a Bible study at the coffee shop once a week. Oh, and also I meet up with these other people. And maybe that's like a, a real point of connection for mm-hmm. me. And so maybe there's a much deeper value there. And so I think that um, when you set up your budget with the values based format it kind of opens the door for you to have those conversations with your spouse like hey I know that you think this thing is kind of stupid but like here's the value that I'm actually getting from it and that's why it's important to me and that's why I want to spend money on it Um, and on the same note I think it helps you figure out when you're really not getting the value that you want out of something Like, oh, I say that I'm doing this for this value, but actually that's not really getting me that. Totally. Um, So it just, I think it just helps with communication and helps with that like peacemaking element as you're working on the budget with somebody else. Cause that's hard.
1: Yeah, it is hard. And eating out is always a really good example because there's so many different values that you can get when you're going out, right? So you could be, you know, going out because you just, you work out, right? Maybe you go to coffee shops to work from and that gets you out of the house. You work more productive if you do that one or two days a week. That's a totally different value than going out for a date night or with friends. And that's, again, very, very, very different than using DoorDash because you just don't want to have to cook and clean tonight. And Mm -hmm. so it's just easier to have it delivered. None of those things are wrong, but you just have to decide, like, do I value convenience, relationships, you know, novelty of working somewhere else? At what price point do I value that? And let's make sure that I've got my budget structured in a way to be able to answer that question for myself.
0: Yeah. All right. We'll move on to our second question. I'm a numbers person and have mastered the basics of YNAB. I've been doing it for a while, but would like to switch up my structure, change my categories, move things around, etc. cetera. Can I do that? And if so, what are the ramica- ramifications? Ramifications. So tell us, Nick, what are the ramifications?
1: <laughs> um, so th- th- this question, just like the last one, is – you know, probably predicated on making a bunch of changes to your budget. And if you're just dragging and dropping and renaming categories slightly, the ramifications are basically nothing. It's no big deal. Do it. Like you can drag and drop your categories around, rename your groups, rename your categories. No big deal at all. It will change up your reports. So, you know, try to make a couple of moves, go look at the reports, see how that kind of, you know, affects things. See if you like it. So I, I think you should play with that for sure. The only real ramification to watch out for is if you decide that you no longer need a category and you want to either delete it or hide it. If you delete it, you it will cause you problems because it Wine-Am will ask you to recategorize all the history of that. So like, let's do the opposite of what we just talked about. Let's say that you you were like, well, I don't care about all my different types of dining out. I just want to have one, one category for dining out. And you wanted to delete your, you know, take out Uber Eats type category. If you deleted it, then YNAB is going to pop up a, blo- a block that says, hey, what do you want to do with all the history of these transactions? And you would need to tell it to recategorize it to some other category. So just watch out for that. Um, but the biggest thing is I actually don't like using the hide category feature in YNAB. And the reason is because YNAB has not updated their reports since they came out with the on you know online version of YNAB in 2015 or 2016. And... The problem that exists is that when you hide a category, it just shows up as a big blob in your reports under hidden. So if you have years of data and you go look at your reports, you get this like large blob of hidden stuff that might be you saved up for, you know, a trip and you took it or you saved up for a new computer and you bought it and you just hid those categories when you were done with them. So what I do is I have a group called Archived at the bottom of my budget. And when I'm done with a category that I no longer need, rather than delete it, rather than rename it, I will remove the money from that category, drag it down to the Archive section and keep that area minimized or hidden. Then when i want to go look at my reports, I can just unhide that entire area. And it makes it really easy to be able to see my past spending history, different trips I've taken, whatever I've done, dig into the reports, and then rehide it. So that's kind of the way I handle it.
0: Okay, I'm going to summarize um, kind of the next question. This person says that they are, let me see. Yeah, okay. I'm 65 years old and purchased a travel membership. It allows me to travel 5 weeks a year within my budget now and when the membership is paid off, which will be in 2 years. I kind of felt like I violated YNAB when I purchased this, but also it felt like it fulfilled my dream of wanting to travel and gave me a lot of excitement for the future. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, so with uh
1: with this one I let's put this up into two parts so you have like one question is around like is getting a travel membership wise so versus it's like very objective right versus just you know paying for each individual trip you know yeah. that you want to go on I would and take that the kind of wise thing.
0: part out I would I would say that the first part is like analyzing it really objectively yeah. like like how does buying this travel membership compare to just going on just going on your own yeah. trips
1: that you plan and do your own thing yep good Yes. And then the second part would be like, you know, what do you think overall? Because it sounds like, I don't know exactly, but just the way this question is written, saying like, I felt like I violated YNAV a little bit, but also felt like my dream, you know, of travel was passionately. And so basically, it's like, you know, they, I don't know if you would call this debt, but certainly there's a membership, it's got to be paid off in two years, that kind of language makes me think, "Eh, maybe we couldn't have really afforded this, but we decided to pull the trigger anyways. So that's sort of a second part of the question. So the first one is getting a travel membership, you know, a good idea versus just doing it on your on your own? And I would say that even the way I just phrased it is probably wrong, right? Good idea is probably the wrong way to phrase it. Wise is probably the wrong way to phrase it. And instead, what's a better way to phrase it is, what are the values that doing a travel membership or maybe even a timeshare in this sort of way, what values does that provide? What are the cons? And is that worth it to me versus just doing it on my own. Obviously, you got to be really careful with travel memberships, and especially like timeshares, because unfortunately, the way that a lot of those things are sold, um, they can take advantage of people. I don't doesn't sound like that's what happened in this scenario. But just kind of throwing that out there for anybody who's considering one of these, got to be really, really careful with these kind of things, because you can get yourself locked into a contract that then gets really difficult to get out of. And now you're on the hook for something that you really ultimately might regret. Which And
0: some of them are very bad to prey on people. Very bad to prey yeah. on people.
1: And so just be like incredibly careful with this kind of thing. But the, the way I think about it is in this scenario, okay, the value of doing a, a membership like this is the payments are going to be consistent, right? You know kind of what you're doing. So there's some level of consistency here. Every month you're doing the same thing you have some level of lower variability when it comes to unknowns around the type of travel, right? So if you're planning your own vacations, your own trips, your own travel, and you don't know that much about the place you're going to, you can be wrong. You could miscalculate something and then that trip could end up costing you a lot more than you anticipate. So there's some level of like stability, consistency, lower variability, and less planning on your part right you just kind of know like okay there's is these are my options where I can go and these are the weeks that I can go. And like, it kind of makes it very plug and play and easy for you.
0: There's also a certain element where it's like the same way that you would automate, like you're investing or something. Yes. Like if you look at it and you're like, this is really a value to me. And I really want to make sure I'm prioritizing traveling, like while my health is still good. And you know, all of this stuff this is kind of a way to like automate making that one of your top priorities.
1: Totally. So I, I don't think it's a bad idea at all. If those are the values that you're like, yep, Those values are worth it to me, and I'm willing to pay for it because, in reality, yeah, you probably are paying a little more than you would if you were planning everything and doing it on your own. How do I know that? Well, because the only way that these companies stay in business is if you're paying a profit on top of the costs for the trip, right? So, obviously, if you were going to do it totally on your own, uh, you could maybe save some money. And so, the question you just have the answer is. Um, is the price point worth it to you for the Mm -hmm. values that they provide? And Mm -hmm. ultimately, only you can make that call.
0: Yeah, I think it's super duper nuanced, and I think it comes down to like knowing yourself. Like even with us, we have a campground membership, and at different times, you have talked about um, selling it. Yep. And I really don't want to because I know Nick and I know that he is so like budget focused. And especially now that we live in Tennessee, there's a lot of the campgrounds that we can stay at in North Carolina. And if I was just going to pitch Nick on a Camping trip to North Carolina. He's gonna be like, "Well, it's gonna cost us this much to go there for a week, and it's gonna be this much and this much and this much and this much." And I don't know, do we really want to spend that right now? Whereas, if I'm like, "Hey, let's go to North Carolina. Our our campground fees, they're free. We, it, I, I mean, we pay free. for the gas. We just already paid them. We already paid them. Yeah, we already paid it. Like you can't change that. Yep. And um, you know, we pay for our gas. And if we don't want to eat out, we won't eat out. We'll save money in that way. Like we'll just enjoy, you know, kind of a new location and whatever." um and it's much easier to get you to do that than to like go pay the campground fee like do totally. the thing so um i i like having it for us from that perspective and then um the other thing that i wanted to add on here is in this scenario you have already purchased the uh you've already purchased it yeah so Don't worry about what we say or our opinions of it. Just enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, if you've already made the decision, then just do what you can to make that the best decision possible. And
1: well, and to this point, so that kind of brings me to the other the other half of this, right? Like, you know, felt like I violated my budget, but you know, the dream of travel um, was satisfied. Look, you're sixty five. Okay. I don't want to make any comments about what that means. <laughs> I
0: was about to say, uh, tread lightly
1: here. What are you? <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, so, no, I mean, on a serious note, I mean, your grandmother was going to be, she's going to be 90 this year and she's still going on trips oh, by yeah. herself. Totally.
0: Okay. But none of us are guaranteed. But none of us anything. are guaranteed. And so anything. it really doesn't matter what your age is.
1: So, you know, there is an argument here for recognizing, like, if you are in good enough health to travel, travel, right? Like, try to figure out a way to do it. Now, you know, don't be. Obviously irresponsible, right? Yeah. About it, don't don't rack up a ton of debt. You really shouldn't be doing, but you know, travel. Like it's there's such a balance here because um we've been talking a lot lately about this book called Die with Zero, and this idea of you you are gonna regret it if you spend all of your life saving a ton of money but then don't ever actually spend it on the things that are important to you. This goes back to our values based budgeting, right? Yeah. So,
0: and also this, point out, we have not read Diver yeah, Zero yet. Yeah, I haven't yet. read
1: the book Diver Zero yet. We've just been I've had a couple friends read it and we've been talking about it and it's on my it's on my list to read. But the, I've I've read a couple summaries and watched a summary on YouTube about it so I get the general idea. And the the core concept, right, is like you only have so much health, you only have so much time and you only have so much money. And very rarely do any of us have all three of those in abundance at the same time. So when you're young, you have a lot of health and a lot of time, no money. When you're older, you may potentially have more money, but you have less time left and you have less health. And so trying to figure out how do you balance these different things that you can, quote, spend throughout your life. And if you have dreamed of traveling and you're 65 and you're in good health and you can work that into your budget in a somewhat responsible way, I don't think that's bad at all yeah and i think you're trying to play this game of balancing that out which is perfect that's what we all should be doing
0: Mm -hmm. um this is a little bit down a rabbit hole but uh mark driscoll in one of his sermons on genesis was talking about it's really important to him to have like fun on the calendar and so he was talking about like that And leaving a legacy and like basically like making memories with your family and getting to your deathbed and not having all of these regrets Um, like, oh, I wish I had worked less and gone on vacation, actually taking my family on that vacation. Or, you know, I wish I had put my phone down and paid attention to my spouse or, you know, whatever. And so uh, just along the lines of that die with zero, I think there is a lot of value in in having experiences like that, especially with people that you love and like documenting those things for after you're gone. And I think that's one of um, like my Papa Hanley for gosh 30 something years took our entire family on a beach trip and they are very well documented. We have <laughs> we have big photo albums from all of those trips and um, I valued those while he was here, but I super value them now
1: totally totally and that would be really sad if he had said like nope we gotta save this money yeah and 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 he could have done this trip
0: but he didn't you know he was super generous and made those really fun trips for everybody to be on and um i just think like wow what a cool legacy that he's left that i still i'm still like thoroughly enjoying you know what i mean and i love to go over to my grandma's house and like sit there and look through all of those pictures All right, our next question is about moving, which we are very experienced at. Um, We've
1: done it a lot.
0: (laughs) It says, Not sure if this is a topic for your consideration or not, but my wife and I find ourselves thinking more and more about leaving California and moving east. The drivers are being closer to family and reducing slash eliminating mortgage costs. Got any advice on that topic? I thought you might have either based on your own experiences or possibly sharing what you've learned from coaching on budgeting.
1: Yeah, I mean, I have personally helped seven, six, seven people move out of California in the last year in terms of, you know, budgeting and planning for it and all that stuff. I'm definitely familiar with it. Hannah and I have obviously moved a lot. We've did it two years ago. We're doing it again right now. Something we're really familiar with. Um, The first thing I would say is I'm pumped that you're even considering this just because the vast majority of people don't ever consider moving from wherever they're at. And it's a real pain. It's not easy. It's going to be a lot of headache. You're going to have moments where you're going to go, why are we doing this again? And it's probably going to be especially depending on where you're moving to and what the process is. Like I've seen a lot of people who are moving and then building a house, which takes even more time. So it's like, you know, you just need to be prepared for like a year to two of kind of turbulence and not really feeling settled. But if you can bite that off, then you can end up creating, you know, a much more fulfilling or abundant life if you're doing it for the right reasons and this isn't necessarily a knock on California as much as it's just if it's not where you want to be and it's not where your values are, then move. You know, we read a book early on on this podcast called I Miss You When I Blink by Mary Laura Philpot, And she has this great line that I love when they were talking about moving from Atlanta to Nashville. And she says, um, how, how did you phrase it? It was like, you could just change things. Yeah. Who knew? Mm-hmm. Right. And just that idea of like, yeah, we'd like to move. We could just we could just do that, you know. Yeah. And I think a lot of people don't think they can.
0: Yeah, I think. Um, yeah, I think the ability to look at something and say like um, California served us really well in these past seasons that we've been in, but you know what? Now it's not serving us well. So as much as we loved our time in California, now we're going to choose to leave it and go do something different. I think a lot of people struggle with that, um, yeah. and I think. In that book, she she like talked about it as embracing the and yes. like I really loved my time in California and now I want to move. Yep, um, and that's kind of how we felt with you know Fair Hope.
1: That's a hundred percent how we felt, and I mean even I you know we watched my parents do this this last year where um, they ended up selling their house that my dad built, the house I grew up in, like this very emotional you know thing for them to let go of. Totally, yeah. uh, I thought they would probably never move out of that house and you know they ultimately embraced that and and said this house was wonderful for us when we were raising kids and you know doing that and it no longer really serves us in the in the current time and so they sold it and yeah. now they're they're building a different house that is going to suit them much better so all that to say like I just want to encourage you or anybody thinking about this like I think it's awesome that you're even considering it because the vast majority of people The friction to do something like this is too high, so they will stay complacent in places that they are not that happy because of the friction. Yeah. That being said, from a practical standpoint, a couple of tips I would have. Go back and listen to some some of our older episodes on house hunting and some things to look for. Uh, even though we've now sold the house that we bought at the time of recording <laughs> that episode, I still think a lot of what we share is relevant, especially as it pertains to- If you're
0: moving to a totally different part of the country. If you're moving to a totally different part of the country, ooh, yeah.
1: you need to optimize for some level of flexibility unless you know the area well. So if you have family there, you grew up there, and you you know the area really well, and you know what you want to buy and do when you're there, cool, great, like fine. But if you don't- consider renting for a year or consider buying a house that's way lower in your budget so that if you hate it in a couple of years or you don't like the area that you bought in, you have the ability to move. Be very careful about handcuffing yourself or locking yourself into a position that's going to be hard to get out of unless you're very clear on um, the area of town, the area of the country, the type of house, like all of that stuff. So just be optimizing for some level of flexibility especially if you don't know the area that well
0: yeah um last thing here that i think is interesting to think about is just if you're raising kids and being really thoughtful about you know like okay what are what are the values and things that i'm trying to instill in my kids and is the environment that i'm in helping me do that or is it working against my efforts um And also, you know, like as you think about um, coaching kids through having like good, valuable friendships and like as Christians, you know, like godly friends and um, eventually finding like a godly spouse, like, are you helping put your kids in situations where they're going to find that? And, you know, Driscoll talked about that in that same sermon that I referenced earlier. And I just think that a lot of us, um, like, where you live, is such a huge, huge impact, impact. And so you see it talked about in and more of a um, focused in view on like the way you have your house set up or whatever and like things like Atomic Habits. Mm-hmm. But I don't I think a lot of times we're not good to zoom out and think about. Yeah, like on a grander scale, like the city that I live in has a yep. big impact on what I choose to do um
1: and and even in a slightly smaller like a medium-sized scale right the neighborhood within a city or the area within a city can have an impact on that because if you think about okay especially if you're a young family and you have kids it's like okay the neighbors that live here these are the the, these are the people that my kids are going to be friends with Mm -hmm. the schools that that i'm zoned for these are the areas that my kids are going to go to and you just want to make sure that the values that you have that you want to instill in your kids are in line with the values of that area.
0: Yeah, totally. Um, and even, I mean, you know, that can be like really meaningful things, like Christianity, or that can be um, something as as small as like I'd like to try to help my kids have a love of nature. Yeah, walkability. So, yeah, or whatever. And, yeah. yeah, and uh, teaching them to make walking a regular part of their day. Mm-hmm. And so maybe you really want to prioritize being in a walkable neighborhood. Um, so yeah, I just think that it's a it's an interesting way to think about it, and I do think that it's a really meaningful choice, and that when you analyze it in that way, um, it can be helpful.
1: The last thing I want to say, this is more just like some rapid-fire bullet points on this about the financial side of moving, is yes, you're moving from California, so we anticipate that your expenses are going to drop, but don't totally underestimate that because I've seen... That not necessarily happen depending on what city you move to. So a couple of things to think through. Number one, really sit down and try and run the numbers on moving costs and then, you know, throw that number on a with a factor of, you know, uh, you know, one and a half times that or two times that. Like the movers, the trucks, the gas, the everything that takes budget more than what you think it's gonna be. Also be thoughtful about what you're gonna hire out versus what you're gonna do yourself. There's a number of things that you probably don't want to do because they're a pain and it's going to be much easier to hire. However, uh, things are expensive. And so if you can take the load off, we ended up painting a number of our rooms ourselves. We ended up doing some of the moving ourselves, but we're also young and we have strong backs and I didn't mind that part as much. And then we hired out other things. Just be thoughtful about that. Then you want to really actually run the numbers of the place that you're going to be moving to try to understand what are the property taxes in there. What are the school districts like? Because I've seen, for example, things where you leave an area that's maybe it's in a really good school district and you're moving to a lower cost area. So you assume, cool, um, I'm going to really drop my mortgage payment, except for now all of a sudden, the schools in that area aren't exactly what maybe you were hoping or thought. So now you really feel the need to send your kid to a private school. Oh, crap. Yeah, your house payment's lower, but now you've just jacked up your costs in private school. And so your net overall cost may not actually change that much. So that's where you just want to be looking at the whole situation of the area that you're moving to and try to understand, okay, well, this state maybe doesn't have income tax, but in Texas, they got really high property taxes. So you just got to be thoughtful about making sure you're looking at the whole thing, not just assuming, of course, our costs are going to go down, actually sit down with it and look at the numbers.
0: Yeah, the kind of going off of that too, is getting really clear on your values and what price point you want to be at before you, I mean, you probably need to look a little bit to get an idea of like, okay, these are the prices that we're looking at in this area. But I think it's really easy, especially when you're coming from a high cost of living area like that to go like, wow, for a million dollars in California, I had a, I don't know, three bedroom, one bath ranch house. Maybe. Maybe. And so maybe. I'm I'm going to move to Tennessee and only buy a $500,000 house because I could get, you know, a similar house to what I had but much nicer but maybe same size or whatever for in that in that $500,000 price range. But then you start looking at houses and you go, but I mean I'm already, what used, I can get for, I'm already used to that yeah. million dollar mortgage, you know? And so, like, it's well, easy look to what let I can get for creep. a million yeah. here. Yep. And so it's just really hard to not get, like, caught up in that.
1: Totally. Yeah, it is. It's very, very, very difficult not to. So,
0: Margot. <laughs> yes? <laughs> so Margo's laying on the bed, like, totally covered up. And she her snores just keep getting louder and louder. So Nick just paused us to yell her name and wake her up and she's totally covered up with this blanket and she just pops up but still under the blanket she looks like a little doggy ghost standing there she's so goofy (laughs) anyway she she'll be not snoring for maybe 30 seconds so final question i currently have a full-time nine-to-five job and i'm looking to build a leadership coaching practice with a goal to transfer to being able to do that full-time i have two current challenges that i would love your thoughts on One, the idea of leaving a steady paycheck and going out on my own intimidates me. Any advice on developing a mindset around this or advice you could give as you did your transition to your own business? I'm in the latter stages of my career and have about 10 more years to work. Um, Number two, thoughts on finding the time and being disciplined to build the business and measuring the progress for myself.
1: Yeah, I think uh, I'll start us off, but I think you may have some interesting thoughts on this too, just because, I mean, when... When I came to you about quitting my job to do this full-time, you're also taking a little bit of a leap of faith, you know? So, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see if you have anything to add. But
0: Well, I want to preface it by saying that I feel like we cheated a little bit. I mean, we really didn't cheat, but just we know people who um, either just jumped off a cliff like, I've got a month to make this work, and I'm Mm -hmm. just going to, you know— Try to muscle it or whatever, um, and then we know people who saved up, you know, maybe like six months to a year, um, and they kind of had a runway to try to get themselves started, but yep. they like the pressure was really on to get something going. Um, and the way that this happened for us was much more stair step, way
1: more stair step than yeah. gradual. Yeah. So
0: while I was in grad school, you were working full time as an engineer and also working on mapped out money, but at the time, true tightwad mm-hmm. on the side. Um, And then like getting some freelance clients in addition to that. And so um, by the time I graduated and was going to work full-time, you were going to leave your engineering job and we were going to be relying on my full-time income while you built up freelancing even more. Yeah.
1: At the time, I was making consistently probably around $1,000 a month, maybe a little bit more, but certainly not enough for us to live on. Yeah. But it was enough for us to feel like, okay, if if I could dedicate full-time hours to this, I could grow it. And because, you know, we're married and we work as a team, we're super blessed to be able to go, all right, Hannah, you now pull the full-time income as a physical yeah. therapist um, while I – go from a $1,000 to, like, actually sustainable money. Yeah,
0: but um, there was already a lot of validation that had happened totally. there, right? Like, we had watched you grow that from, like, hey, I'm making 50 cents a month on this <laughs> random ad on my website or whatever to, uh, hey, yeah, I've got, like, $1,000 worth of clients, and if I can make $1,000, I can I can make $5,000, totally. you know? yeah. And so you definitely had kind of built up that confidence in that area, whereas, I mean, Nick was building up that confidence from that, like, hey, I just made 50 cents, Mark, whereas i was like uh you're crazy like i <laughs> won't even get us like, chewing gum yeah like okay what a win you know um so i was much more of a pessimist and i think that that's like a real gift that you have is um it's not blind optimism it's um i don't know what what would you what would you call that because I, it, I you have it, something to back it up i, I like, would
1: call it um tempered delusional optimism.
0: Yeah, which I think that to start a business you have to have.
1: You've got to have some level I am, of optimism. I do delusion. not have that. I would yeah. not
0: start a business without you. So, um, so yeah. I'll leave my comments there. No, I, I think
1: that's good. I think that's spot on and I think a lot of what you said is 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 what I would say because uh, I, I know people that do the you know, what um, some people in the startup world call, like, the building your airplane after jumping. So it's like you're, you jump off a cliff and you're building your parachute or your airplane while you're falling. That does not work for me. I would freak out and clam up and like sleep and cope. And I I don't think I could do that. Neither one
0: of us likes to function I don't do that well.
1: And I I mean, I know friends, I have friends who've done it and, you know, some of them make it work. But I mean, it's scary. And so I definitely don't recommend just going like,
0: all right, I'm going to do it
1: and, like, jump Well, and anything. we've talked about
0: survivorship bias, too, because I think yes. that that's something where you see that at play a lot. Like, you hear these stories of people who took, like, a gigantic risk and, like—
1: And it paid off. Yeah.
0: And it's like, yeah, but a lot of people do that, and it doesn't work You don't work hear about well. all the
1: stories about the people who that didn't work for. Yeah. So I would much rather you focus on building your bridge, you know, Or sometimes they, I think I one time heard it as like building your boat before you step off the solid ground that you're on. And then when you're ready to step off, the boat's like built and you can actually like start sailing with it. And then if you need to, you know, build a little bit more as you're going, that's cool. But it like already sails, it floats, right? So really focusing on building some small wins and stacking those on top of each other to build your confidence that this is something that you can actually do is going to be my biggest thing for you. So, you know, you said you want to be a leadership coach. So leadership coaching practice. So I mean, that's very similar to to our business. Yeah. I mean, we make 80% of our money from coaching. So, you know, I would tell you, like, try to get your first client, like making your first sale and getting someone to actually pay you money for leadership coaching is going to be the number one thing that you should be doing, even before trying to like, spin your wheels and spend all your I mean, the amount of hours I spent tweaking stupid colors on my first blog is so dumb. Like I wasted so much time in that first year or two learning. And if I would have just actually focused on getting a client to pay me money to help them, I would have I would have been able to grow a lot
0: faster. Well, and I think um, I'm speaking from your experience here, because I didn't do it. But I think that you would probably say, that the best way to get somebody to pay you for that is to put content out there mm-hmm. about everything that you're learning. Because I'm assuming if if you want to be a leadership coach, you're studying that type of stuff a lot. Totally. And you're reading books on that. And, well, and I you know, imagine this
1: person's later in their career; they're probably doing that in whatever their normal nine to five is. Yeah, right. And you
0: have a lot of wisdom in that area, and so put some of that out there, whether it's like a blog post, or a YouTube video, or a podcast, or you know, whatever. Um, start start getting your your ideas and thoughts and wisdom in that area out there for people to hear. And then um, normally, pretty naturally, people will start saying like, hey, I think you might could help me with this. Like, can I pay you to do this? Totally.
1: The other thing I wanted to mention as far as like the fear thing, right? Because you had asked, how do I, you know, the idea of leaving a steady paycheck and going on my own really intimidates me. Um, Any advice on on the mindset? You know, mindset wise, there's a book called Mindset by Carol Dweck that I love. I talk about a lot as it relates to this kind of thing, I would highly recommend that you check that book out as it relates to this. I think it will help you. But the other thing that I think really helped us was not burning bridges. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I know people who hated their nine-to-five job. And and look, I didn't like mine. Like, at, I didn't like it. I liked the people I worked with. I didn't like the You left on
0: good terms, though. But
1: I really, truly tried to leave on good terms. I didn't burn any bridges. I didn't, like, you know, tell people, like, hey, man, like, you know, I'm out of here. And, like, you know, flip tables as I walk out of the cubicles. (laughs) Like, you know, I didn't do any of that. I didn't. So I knew that in a worst-case scenario, if I walked away and six months, 12 months down the road, I was like, okay, this is just not working. I was one phone call away from a job. Mm Mm-hmm. I I knew that and I felt very confident about that. And so this is not a building a business on the side to eventually leave is not an excuse to start slacking off at your nine to five. If anything, it's an excuse to make sure you're still crushing it at your nine to five the whole way through so that you have full confidence that you could always come back. Um, They should be very sad when you tell them that you're quitting not relieved because you've been knocking off and doing your own side business when you really should have been working, working. Um, So I would say that. And then, you know, the second part of the question was like thoughts on finding the time and being disciplined enough to build a business and then measuring progress. This one to me is way more like just personal. Like, unfortunately, you've only got 24 hours a day. You've only got to set out a number of hours a week. You're working a nine to five. I don't know much else about you. Maybe you got kids. Maybe you don't. Maybe you have other obligations. Maybe you have older parents you're taking care of. Like, I'm sure you got stuff going on. And it's going to be really hard to find the time. And I don't know how else to say it other than how badly do you really want to do your own thing? How badly do you want to leave your nine to five? I personally... Uh, I knew that me long-term, I was not going to thrive in that environment, and I I felt like I really couldn't breathe at my nine-to-five, and I couldn't do it for longer than what I did it for. I needed to be able to get out on my own and have the autonomy that I have, and that drove me to put in a ton of hours outside of my job to make it happen. And I don't know anyone who has built a successful business and left their job Uh, without putting in a good chunk of hours and having a really strong reason for why they wanted to do that. Um, For me, my big reasoning was I wanted to provide a certain level of lifestyle for our future family. I wanted Hannah to have the option to work either in her chosen career or with me or doing whatever she wants. And I also knew that down the road, we wanted to have a family and adopt kids and I didn't want to have to be locked into a career where I was traveling all the time and away from my family. Like, I knew that I didn't want that. And so I wanted to build a business that would give me the control over our time and our freedom. And that drove me to, to do what we did. So for you, it's like, okay, the first thing I would say is, like, let's do a time audit. Let's literally have you track every single hour of every day for one week. I try to do this once every year or two. Just because it's a good refreshing task. I don't track all my time every week, but I will do it for a week periodically to give myself a reset. And so literally take a you know a pencil and a, you know, notebook and a stopwatch and track your time for a week and figure out what you're doing and then figure out where can I cut some things so that I can plug in more time to actually grow this business. I I don't know your skill set. I don't know, you know, much about you really, but I think that, you know, with 10 to 20 hours a week consistently, you if, you, if you're working on the right stuff, you can absolutely build a business that will sustain you in, you know, a year or two at 10 to 20 hours a week if you're patient about it and thoughtful about it. Yeah. So you just have to carve out the time. That's really all it comes down to.
0: Um, I think the other thing that sticks out to me Um, And you can tell me whether you agree with this or not, but I would say like, don't be ashamed to do it in like a stair step kind of way. too. So like, maybe you have a spouse that you know, you you can kind of help each other through this process, or maybe you're single, I don't know. Um, But maybe maybe you work something out at your job where you can go down to part-time totally. while it doesn't you're have building be, something up. It doesn't,
1: you're, you're spot on.
0: Maybe yeah. you don't have that option at your job and so you leave the current nine-to-five job that you have and you go work at, I don't know, a coffee shop that you don't hate or something, just something small yep. where you're like, okay, well, I at least know that I've got this like steady income coming in and so like, I have that security while I'm building this up, but this isn't taking up like a lot of my brain space. And even probably, you know, while you're doing that job, you can kind of be thinking in the back of your head about the, what you're going to work on after it or whatever. I think you see that a lot in like the, the writer artsy world Mm -hmm. is kind of people having jobs like that to allow them to go work on the thing that they want to work on. Um, so, so yeah, I would just say like if that's part of it and you can't just do like a clean break from like left my 9 to 5 and now I'm doing my own thing full time, <laughs> yeah. I would, I would say no shame it. in that. Yeah. Totally.
1: Well, and you know, I can't believe I didn't even talk about the the financial side of this really, but like, you know, obviously, and this to me goes without saying if you listen to this podcast, like you need to have a budget. So, yeah. absolutely, like you need to know your numbers backwards and forwards. So you need to know exactly how much money it costs you to live your life. And maybe you decide to cut back a little bit so that it costs you less, which means that now your business needs to make less for you to be able to do it full time, right? Yeah. So, like, you need to know your personal numbers, know what it takes you to live your life, and then do a little bit of math to figure out your business-related expenses, which as a leadership coach, you shouldn't have that much. Just, you know, software, maybe some education, little things here and there. Uh, And then you need to also do a little bit more math to figure out a little bit of room for taxes, and then boom, now you have a goal, right? So very basic scenario I would run is like, if you want to make $8,000 a month, let's say you want to pay yourself $8,000 a month, and in order to, to pay yourself $8,000 a month, you need the business to generate $10,000 a month. Cool. That's 10 new clients at $1,000. You need to figure out how to sell 10 people at a $1,000 a product, or you need to sell 100 people at a $100 a product. Yeah. Like- You can play this game a little bit where you can start to figure out what you want and then go and set specific goals to make those numbers happen and then work towards them slowly over time.
0: Yeah. Anything else you want to cover there?
1: I don't think so. I think that's it.
0: Well, that means it's time for some stuff we like. What are you liking, Nick? I did it last time. Okay, well, Nick's taking too long to think about what he likes. I'll tell you what I'm liking: Addison's Bookshop.
1: Oh, so you this, don't even know
0: if you like this. Yet okay, or not. but I just like that it is—it's there. Okay, that it's a thing. Fair enough. So, you know, we just moved to Knoxville, and a new bookstore just opened up, and it's like old and antiquated books, right? But it's, it looks like it's got it also, a really cool vibe. Oh, and they have a tea. It bar. has a
1: tea bar in it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So. I well, Hannah and I were talking
1: just the other day. We had, uh, we went on a trip. This has been like two years ago now, but we went on a trip to, where did we go? Thomasville, Georgia. Yeah, Thomasville, Georgia. Thomasville, Georgia. Uh, we did like, it was like just a couple of nights, but um, we mostly went there because of a bookstore. Yeah. And we had a friend of ours that was like, wait, hold on. You drove like, 10 hours to go to some random tiny town in Georgia because of a bookstore. To be
0: fair, we were also getting out of hurricane We were running weather, from a hurricane. But, but um, you know, it was We kind of excuse. went the wrong direction because we wanted to go to this bookstore.
1: <laughs> but the By point, way, I mean I. The, I wanted to go to this but, bookstore. So,
0: but the <laughs> point was, like,
1: he thought that was a little bit goofy. But I was like, dude, I mean, people travel all over to go to, like, a specific restaurant or a mountain or, or a, sports event. a sports event or, like, I don't know. Going to a bookshop is as legitimate of a reason to go anywhere as anything
0: else, in my opinion. I totally agree. So,
1: anyways, I think we're going to go check out the the bookshop maybe this weekend, maybe early
0: next week. All right. You want to wrap us up?
1: I don't know if there's a good wrap-up for this one other than uh, I think that the theme today is values-based budgeting and spending your money on what's important to you. And your time. And your time. Whether that's building your own business, leaving one state moving to another, Doing small little values based eating out stuff or, you know, travel. Thinking about what you actually value and making sure you're using your money on those things is the name of the game.
0: I think that was a great wrap up. Thanks. All right. Thanks so much for listening and we'll be back next week.
1: All right. Bye.